Indiana's senators split on health care as the Senate fails to advance the issue. Luke Messer makes his Senate bid official. That plus a new cabinet position and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending July 28, 2017. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, health care reform fell flat in the U.S. Senate as Republicans couldn't muster the required votes to advance the controversial measure. The Senate action began Tuesday when Vice President Mike Pence broke a 50-50 tie to begin debate on Obamacare repeal legislation. That was followed by votes throughout the week on numerous amendments and a few different versions of the bill. That includes a more comprehensive repeal and replace, which failed, a straight repeal of Obamacare, which failed, and a more limited repeal of the individual and employer mandates along with the medical device tax, which failed by one vote in the wee hours of Friday morning. Republican Senator Todd Young voted yes on all those versions. Democrat Joe Donnelly Indiana, voted no. Is Obamacare repeal on life support? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Joey Fox, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly, State House reporter for the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House reporter Brandon Smith. Andalini, opponents of the repeal obviously celebrated last night, but will that victory be relatively short-lived? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it, there aren't enough Republicans, obviously, to pass it. Uh, people are concerned about people having health care. In, in this state, it's almost half a million people who could be deprived, depending on whether you're talking about the House bill or the Senate bill. And we could raise taxes if Governor Holcomb could convince the supermajorities in both chambers of Indiana to raise taxes in order to keep those half a million people on insurance. But I think what uh, President Trump is trying to do is to destabilize the market even further. I mean, he's holding back subsidies that he's supposed to pay uh, uh, as a result of Obamacare, and that's making the insurance industry even more nervous. And some people are saying, well, some insurance companies are saying, we can't operate a business in this kind of environment of uncertainty, which is ironic because, you know, the Democrats pick the more conservative health care approach. They could have gone for Medicare for everyone, and didn't. They didn't go to single payer. They went to a, a, a program that was going to bolster the insurance industry. And you would think that Republicans would have thought that was okay. I don't know. I don't know if there are enough Republicans there who will now work with Democrats. John McCain's impassioned speech was work together in a bipartisan fashion. That's the approach. There is no question that the exchanges of Obamacare require work, that the subsidies need to be more yeah, pronounced, and the, and the, and the uh, competition needs to be there. That can be done. That's a money problem that can be fixed if they want to reach out and make certain that that coverage is available. Joey Fox, what is Republicans' path forward now on health care reform? Well, your first question, though, Brandon, was is you know, Obamacare repeal on life support. And what's clear, though, is that the Affordable Care Act is on life support at, at the moment. And so we've got, to, we've, we've, got to find, we've got to find some ways now. And another point that may not be particularly popular, but none of the bills that were really coming through coming through the Senate were what the president promised during the campaign, and, and in some cases what some Republicans had, had promised uh, during, during the campaigns over the, last se of, over the last seven years either. 
So I think this gives us an opportunity to, to regroup, to come back, perhaps in a bipartisan fashion, and work on the Medicaid side of this, work on which the growth rate will be a problem uh, you know, over, over a long period of time fiscally, and to work on the exchange side to help stabilize the markets and make sure we don't continue to see counties that are, that are falling, out, um, falling out and falling into a coverage gap where folks can't get insurance. John Schwannis, do you think this is something that uh, Congress will return quickly to, or do you think they, they look to other topics for a little while before returning to health care reform? Uh, the Pavlovian response, how many times can you get hit with a hammer or hit your own hand with a hammer uh, before you move on to something more pleasant? I would think that they're... Uh, is going to be an appetite in some sectors of Congress to let's do something else where maybe we can get some momentum, pick up some steam, because clearly this has been, uh, you could not have more pressure applied. I mean, a, a lot, as I understand, a lot of the Republican senators, or not, I shouldn't say a lot, but some Republican senators were put off by sort of the browbeating they took from the administration and the arm twisting and the threats. So I don't think those people, for instance, are in any mood uh, to get back into the ring right now and, and go another round. You know, just one point, Joy, that you made about none of these bills has matched what uh, then-candidate Donald Trump promised during the campaign. I'm not sure any legislation actually could because, remember, that was a yeah. promise to – Basically, sure. do the legislation. That was, I'm not sure it would pass. The well, I'm not, sure there's, I'm not even sure how you could structure it because it's basically doing everything for everybody with no mandates and, and, no, and, no, ta and no cost. So I'm not sure that's a, a, is even possible. Nikki, Nikki, how do you think Republican voters are viewing what happened over this last week? I think your average voter just sees that you promised repeal, replace, and they didn't deliver. But I, I think it just goes to show that a mantra is not as simple as that. I mean, once you give and provide coverage to millions of people, taking that coverage away is a lot harder than I think Republicans thought it was going to be. I don't. But right now, I think the average voter probably feels like they were that the Republican Senate failed them. You know, one thing to worry about, though, is that Donald Trump does have some ability to undermine Obamacare even further without any legislation. And trying to doom it to failure, and that's you know that's something Congress is going to need to step in on. Does though the, is that almost in Donald Trump's best interest to put more pressure on Congress that they almost have to do something at that point? Mm. I think the Congress, I think the, I think the entire government, all three branches, specifically the executive and legislative branch, need to do what they can to execute the laws of of, of the land to the best of their best of their ability, right? And we need to be responsible with people's lives as we have as we have these these systems in place but you have to do that in a context of what you know, several straight elections four straight elections where we said we would repeal and replace obamacare we've got to keep working on this the voters have said this is what they want but we can't let the earth you know come out from underneath them while we continue to work on the process well, the voters uh, let's, said let's, let's, a while ago they've on. changed their minds since then <laughs> well indiana representative luke messer will officially make a bid to oust incumbent U.S. Senator Joe Donnelly next year. Republican Congressman Luke Messer's announcement was understated. A tweet with the simple message, We're in. See you at the picnic on August 12th. Below the message, his chosen logo, a partial outline of the state on a red field with the slogan, I like Luke, U.S. Senate 2018. Messer's most formidable primary opponent is still just a potential candidate, 4th District U.S. Representative Todd Rakita. The run-up to Messer's announcement has been marked by rancor between the federal lawmakers. 
Messer accused Rokita of lying about his family, saying he lacks integrity. Rokita's camp fired back, calling Messer unhinged and a ticking time bomb. Joey Fox, was this announcement from Messer just a little underwhelming to you? No, we're talking about it on your show as the second topic, so it worked. Um, he's the first in, which is really important as far as momentum goes in politics. Of the major right? candidates. You're right? of the you, major candidates. Yeah, you, you, you want to be first uh, coming in. We're talking about it on your show. Uh, the Messer family uh, picnic is a great Indiana political tradition where I think you'll get the full, the full kickoff, but I think he was able to take an important step, declare his intentions, and begin fundraising, begin planning more in earnest. I think it's great. Is this a slow start? Are you expecting to see more from Luke Messer? Well, he's too busy in the food fight with Todd Rokita. I mean, it's the back and forth between those two 18 months out of the election. Well, in their case, a little less than a year out of the election is just I don't. I don't think that's food going back and forth. Well, I don't know what it is, but it's not pleasant. You know, Messer's been a really disappointment to me. Uh, when you, I, I thought he was reasonably moderate and a, and a sensible person. And then he gets in there and he votes with Rokita. Their proposal in the House would have denied health care coverage to 34 million people. Okay? It would have decimated the program in Indiana. And he votes for it without so much as a second thought because Donald Trump tells him to do it. It's crazy um, because I really expected more from him, just like I expected, frankly, more from Susan Brooks. I thought those were moderate kinds of they're people. They're not taking orders from anybody. They were oh, keeping yeah, they a campaign are. promise to the people no, of India. I want to ask about Luke Messer's entrance into the race, though. the official entrance. As, as Anne points out, it's, it's been going on for unofficially for, for a while now. But was this entrance a little underwhelming? I initially thought the timing was a little odd. But then, you know, when they put out the statement later in the day and they say, you know, they point to Joe Donnelly's vote against um, some changes to the Affordable Care Act and they say we need leadership that will vote differently in the U.S. Senate, I sort of started to get it then. I mean, it was definitely a low-key announcement, but um, I did later in the day start to at least get what they were going for. I don't think you could ever describe Todd Rakita as low-key. Uh, how much will Luke Messer have to try and match some of that volume that will likely come from oh, across the way? I think it will so be a high volume, uh, high sparks, a lot of sparks in this race, and that's a given. Uh, you know, here I think the attempt, Joey mentioned this, is to be first among the, the high-profile candidates. Right. And again, we should stipulate there are other people. Right. Yeah, Mar and, Mark Hurt, Terry Henderson, and, uh, um, oh, I'm going to, this is terrible, uh, Andrew Takami. That was very Wall, good under pressure. That may not be the entire field. <laughs> that might not be the entire field. Sorry. And now, Joey, that they've been mentioned on the show, they've accomplished everything they need to accomplish, <laughs> uh, apparently. But, and that'll put them over the but, job. But at the same time... You got that accomplished if you are Luke Messer, but he didn't do the big balloon drop and all of that, which yet. He, yes. That's the point. Right. That's yes. the point. We'll be he back talking about him in a couple weeks. But he can <laughs> do that again when he does his formal kickoff. So in this way, he has the proverbial cake and he can eat it too, which is you're again first. Maybe you can scare off some other uh, people or get whatever national funders are out there that say, okay, we better go with this incumbent who's already in the race. We know he's a sure thing as opposed to the question mark such as it is, um, and then you can still have your big balloon drop later. But, but Rex Early says that all the Trump supporters are going to be with Rokita. The Trump campaign. The vice president's brother is with Messer. So we'll, we'll see. Well, we'll see. We'll fight in D.C. as much as it is here, yeah. apparently. Well, Governor Eric Holcomb this week announced the creation of a new state cabinet position, naming LaPorte Mayor Blair Milo as the state's first Secretary of Career Connections and Talent.
Holcomb says Blair Milo, in her new role, will work with state agencies, the business community, and higher education institutions. The goal? Ensure workforce development priorities are aligned to help meet future job needs. Holcomb says he created a new cabinet position as a way to focus on the issue. He notes the Department of Workforce Development, in his words, has their hands full. Milo says she's excited to build on the work she says Indiana has done to attract businesses to the state. The new position will oversee the state personnel department and utilize its staff. Nikki Kelly, what is Blair Milo going to do that the Department of Workforce Development, for instance, doesn't or can't do? Well, I think it's clear, I mean, certainly DWD is, is in that wheelhouse, is, should be charged with making sure the skills fit what the employers need and people can go with careers. And I think there was a little confusion. Reporters tried to ask a couple times, like, why isn't this with DWD? And eventually, they, you know, Governor Holcomb said, you know, DWD is busy and we want someone to focus on this 24 hours a day. I do think it's going to be difficult to see or to gauge um, her success in the position because it's, it's sort of murky and, and bureaucratic exactly what she's going to be doing. She's going to be working with a bunch of agencies to try to bring people together, but I'm not sure what metrics we have to gauge what she's doing well. Yeah, to that point, and, and Governor Holcomb was asked this, and he, I don't think he had many specifics in, in response, but how are we going to know if Blair Milo is doing the job that she's supposed to be doing? I'm not going to get an answer here because I don't know the answer, and I'm not sure anybody can point to what those metrics would be because of this odd structure, again, where the bulk of the legwork is being done ostensibly by an agency over which you don't preside. Um, the timing is, is odd because let's think about workforce development as, a, as an agency. It was created during the Bayh administration to consolidate a lot of agencies where they thought there was too much splintering and everybody didn't, you know, the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. So this was an attempt to bring it back together. Since then, through other administrations, both Republican and Democratic, there has been a creation of additional councils and regional this and regional that and local that. And then, so guess what? This past session, I thought, legislative session was all about trying to bring common sense yep. or some sort of coherency to this issue. So if that's what the session was all about, but then you're introducing yet another person who wasn't even in the, in the equation to begin with, I'm not sure how that necessarily simplifies the process. If, in fact, that person isn't overseeing through direct lines of reporting everything that I just talked so about. So that's, that's part of what I want to ask about, which is, I mean, th this is not just I've I'm bringing in somebody to DWD, for instance, a new position with it. It's a new cabinet position. It's a new secretary. Now that they're going to just oversee the state personnel department, as, as Nikki pointed out, probably for staffing more than anything else. But is this just a layer of bureaucracy that, that's been added here? I don't think so. So you, you look at the the history of this, and John started to, to allude to this, right? And in government, you tend to see over time, right, things spread out a little bit for expertise, and then they come, they come back in for, for progress and, and for movement. Um, you know, when I was in the lieutenant governor's office, going back to the beginning of the Pence administration, one of the first bills that got signed that year was the creation of the career councils, right? And, the, and, and then working with the, the WIBs and come, coming together and trying to work a little bit more strategically on this. We're in an interesting place in Indiana. Our employment, unemployment rate is next to zero, and we still have businesses, and the governor talks about this, that say they can't hire anybody. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it makes sense to bring, bring somebody in. And DWD, right, is one of the agencies that is over this area, right? But they've got a lot of, you know, 
small business and tax, tax issues, labor statistics, right? There's lots of other stuff that they do. And I can't think of somebody better to help organize this. And you think of it maybe around like the Jim McClellan. Um, yeah, the drug, drugs are right. The, the, the drugs are model, right? If there's lots going on here, who is, who's who's looking at it from from a 360 degree? Is, is this well, something that was kind of needed to, to help grapple with a pretty big it's issue? It's kind of hard to see uh, how adding the other layer makes it simpler. It generally, in my experience, you add another layer, you increase the complexity of it, you don't bring things together. But I'm glad to know it's 24 hours a day because that justifies her being paid $60,000 more than the governor. It's still $70,000 less than what Mrs. Messer makes as a part-time employee, <laughs> however. I just would point that out. That was and unfair. Yeah. Remember, it's not just... It's absolutely accurate. It's, just, it's not just <laughs> Department of Workforce unfair. Development. It's unfair to Jennifer Messer, who's an incredibly talented attorney Part -time and, do, and attorney. does, That's does right. great work. I think it's completely unfair to attack her for her line of business. All well, I pointed we've, out we've, was she's a part-time employee making 240000 a year. We have, we have seemed to veered away from the topic, so it's time oh. now for viewer feedback. <laughs> Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, is Governor Holcomb's new cabinet position just more bureaucracy? A, yes, the Department of Workforce Development is sufficient, but, or B, no, it will help focus on a critical area. Last week's question, are you tired of dishonest politicians? 57% say yes, they all lie. 34% say no, I still believe most are honest, and 9% rightly say I don't listen to any of them. If you would like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. Well, this week marked one year since East Chicago's mayor told residents in a public housing complex they'd have to move out because of lead and arsenic contamination. Mayor Anthony Copeland's announcement sparked a year of frantic action by lawmakers and activists that's still ongoing. Nearly 1,200 people were forced to leave the West Calumet housing complex in the heart of an EPA Superfund site in East Chicago because of lead and arsenic contamination in the soil. The problem had existed for nearly a century, and state and federal agencies had known for decades. A year later, the EPA has cleaned dozens of yards in the surrounding site. But many residents are still grappling with what to do going forward, and there's ongoing litigation as those affected hope to become a bigger part of what comes next. John Schwanish Hoosiers be satisfied with what the government at all levels, state, local, federal, uh, has done in East Chicago over, at least over the last year? It's probably not my place to say whether, assess whether they should be satisfied or not, but what I can tell you is most of them are not satisfied in terms of the people directly affected by this who were forced to move. They, in many cases, feel that they still are not being allowed to be part of the process. They have tried, some plaintiff groups have tried to intercede in terms of federal litigation to try to make some of the various polluters uh, have a greater uh, uh, payout in terms of sort of the, uh, the cleanup here involved, and yet the EPA is trying to keep them at arm's length. At the same time, the EPA can't necessarily, just this week, said, well, we can't say with certainty that the water in this area is safe or yeah. not. That doesn't give you much comfort. And then, of course, this fall, we'll see uh, this area, will, the demolition will begin on the apartment uh, that was first closed when people were forced to leave and underground utility work will begin and now residents are concerned with what happens when that gets into the air, the air and pollutants right. and so forth. So there are a lot of, again, should they, shouldn't they? I don't know, but if you're one of these people and you don't know if your water's clean or if you're going to be hit with another dose of airborne uh, pollutants, they're not satisfied. Uh, some residents that our reporters have talked to have said that, that over the last year they've been much more happy with the responsiveness of, of a lot of levels of government, but Given 
how many different agencies at different levels of government have to be involved in here? Is, was this, is this always going to be a kind of clunky, messy process? Well, yeah. I mean, anytime you're trying to coordinate three levels of government to help, you know, thousands of people in an area, it's, it's going to be a problematic, you know, process. But, you know, I think, I think they're mostly still very upset that they were kept in the dark for so many years. Yeah. And then it was sort of just sprung on them. They went from being in the dark to get out now, like, you know, yeah. now. And some help wasn't properly set up and housing vouchers and things like that. So um, I think they're rightly upset and still looking for answers, and they have not gotten them from all levels. Are you at all encouraged that the, at least some progress has been made over the last year, finally? Well, I mean, there's some progress. They've moved some people out, so hopefully they'll be in safer environments. But, you know, with the, with the way the president is talking about decimating the EPA uh, budget, I, I'm not optimistic about how soon, and they're, they're the heavy load carriers in this equation. And if their budget's reduced by 25 or 35 or 45 percent, they're not going to be in a position to do what needs to be done to clean that area up in any time soon. I want to ask quickly about that because residents have been happy with Scott Pruitt, the new head of the EPA. His first Superfund site visit was to East Chicago. He, I mean, there have been a lot more uh, discussions with EPA administrators there. But at the same time, you have from the, from the President of the United States, you have a budget that slashes EPA funding, that slashes Superfund funding, even as Scott Pruitt said, it's a huge priority for him as the director of the EPA. How, as a resident, should you be dealing with those mixed messages? Well, if we're going to treat crisis response like Ann did as a political issue, talk about the president, this, you know, if we go back the previous eight years, a Democrat was in the White House while this, had, this simmered and, and nothing happened and, and, until the end. I just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to go down, go down that road. I think this year you saw in February the governor, Governor Holcomb signing an executive order, extending it while the legislature worked to codify some of the things, more rate, more routine testing, the IHCDA, just the state agency kind of under the, the HUD umbrella uh, has worked to on the communications piece of this and especially with residents. I think a lot of that work is why you're seeing um, why you're seeing some of that improved satisfaction. But you know these are our, our fellow citizens that were you know put in a really dangerous situation for a long time. I think they've got every reason to feel however they would like to feel. It's not political to say that his proposed budget cuts the EPA by a huge percentage. That's what he's doing. Sorry. But you're, I think you're, by saying that, though, Anne, I think you're suggesting that, you know, that if, they might if, not if, clean if, it up. If everything, something isn't going to get everything cleaned up, Joey. At, I hate If everything to tell were you. at current levels, this wouldn't happen. But no, it no, has no. been it's at current ha- levels. It has and happened. it did happen it with the happened. EPA being fully funded, we'll say, happened. under the Obama administration. Now it administration. has to be remediated, and the funds aren't going to be there to remediate it. That's what I'm saying. Sorry. The U.S. House voted this week to fund President Trump's proposed border wall. Legislation approved by the House in a mostly party-line vote includes $1.57 billion for physical barrier construction along the southern border of the United States. Building a wall along the Mexican border was one of President Trump's major and most publicized campaign promises. Both Indiana Democratic House members voted against the bill. Six of the seven Hoosier Republicans voted for it. Trey Hollingsworth did not vote. He was attending the birth of his first child. Joey Fox Hoosiers obviously backed Donald Trump and presumably this campaign promise, but uh, will they still support it when they see the price tag? They should. Um, it's, the, it's the first um, 
It's the first piece of reforming a really broken immigration system all the way around. You can't get control of a problem uh, until you stop the, stop the bleeding. And the southern border is one piece, one piece of that, right? There's, there's lots of pieces to it. But it's an important one. It's one that was a very, very clear uh, campaign promise. And when you win a state by 20 points, I think Hoosiers will expect that you build a wall. The caution is you can't stop there. Right, that's that's step one. We still have, um, you know, a lot of people in this country that are undocumented. We have lots of children in this country who came here through no volition of their own that don't know another home. Um, we have technology companies that need more talent that we're not providing. Immigrants, uh, by and large, have more children. They're better educated than a lot of Native Americans uh, in 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 time. So I think we've got a lot of work to do, but the border wall is the first step and we've got to get it done. Do you think this will get through the Senate relatively unscathed? The promise was that there was going to be a border wall and Mexico was going to pay for it. We weren't going to have to shell out $1.5 billion while our roads and our bridges... And that, in fact, this is the only infrastructure program that he's proposed. I mean, we look, we ride on the roads and the streets, and we look at the bridges, and we look at the trains, and we know we need major, what, I think you said a trillion dollars he was going to invest. He hasn't offered that bill. Instead, he's offered the wall for us to pay for. It, it, you know, it's not, we need an immigration policy reform. I agree with that. But the immigration from Mexico has declined. It's declined, and, and people are going back. Probably so it to the is of the part of the whole thing is we have to have some sensible thing, and we can't be going attacking uh, people from Muslim community from Muslim countries just because they're from Muslim countries and they're Muslims. You, you've got to have to, a sensible approach to this, and I agree. But you know, we've tried to do immigration reform, and the Republicans have blocked it for years. So. Because It'd the be Democrats nice. would never would be, be strong nice. enough on border security for us yeah, to get yeah, well, there. The, 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 the uh, wall, right. well, even that's, if the wall is built, it's not going right. to be secure. That's you can go Indiana, over and under it. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Joey Fox, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly of the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.